Please remain standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John 6. And we are in verses 15 through 21 this morning. And God's word says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Well, sorry, I started with 16. Got to have 15. That's the first point of the sermon. 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord's help in our uh, engagement with his word. Lord, we thank you for your Bible that you gave to us. Thank you for uh, this moment at which we get to come together and examine it. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help as we look and think and discern. And uh, we pray that you'll do your work in our lives, uh, whatever it is that we need. And you know what that is. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say, if we had to talk about what are the difficult times that we've had, maybe the most difficult days in our life. Um, some of us might even say it's, it was a two-year period or a five-year period or, or maybe it was just one day when we were shattered and we faced trouble. We all would have something to say. If I asked you, have you faced your hardest days yet, do you think? We would all say, I hope. (laughs) Hope there's not worse ones coming. We just do not know. But we know that in this world, uh, you will have trouble. That's, That's God's word. That's Jesus talking. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not. I have overcome the world. Job chapter 5, after he's been set really nice, and then everything happened at once. And there's a word there that, that says, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's just a part and parcel of life in a fallen world. So we're here to talk about those days when difficulties come. The bookended around that is is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And where we're headed is a place where no tears, no sin. Uh, We won't have guilty feelings. If up in heaven they say, okay, now it's time as we worship Jesus for you to bow and just do business with God for the sins that, uh, that, that have piled up this week, 
they'll all look around and go, whew, it's nice to be in a place where there's no sin, where sin has been eradicated, where we just worship our Lord and fellowship. So we get to see this morning uh, something of trouble, a little bit of trouble. Uh, the trouble that we're going to see this morning is not the worst trouble that anyone has faced in the Bible, but it's trouble. <laughs> it's trouble. And so uh, we want to see three things as far as uh, God bringing his disciples safely home. Uh, first, the first point uh, will be about Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus Christ's humility. Secondly, the trials of Christ's disciples. And finally, our Lord Jesus Christ's power over the waves of the sea. And we will see how that applies to us in, in what uh, we may not think is our important life on earth, but, but God certainly does think is our important life on earth. So first of all, look at Jesus. He's just uh, fed the 5,000, big triumphant day. They've taken five loaves and two fishes and fed all these people, gathered all the remnants of it, and, and it's a real big explosion of a miracle. And this one can't be denied, and people's practical needs were met. And it was pointed out by several of the, the people who I read and consulted, uh, think of our Lord's humility. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And it makes sense that they would want a king who could feed them. That's voting patterns in all countries or uh, loyalties in countries that have um, dictatorships. Give me the guy who can feed me and feed my family. That's the basic need. And wow, Here's one that could do this. Let's make him the king. And by the way, I've heard he can heal people. And maybe even we could go up against Rome. And he could just be at the back lines uh, making bread and fish out of nothing and healing our wounded. And let's make him the king. I think he'd be a very good king. And our Lord Jesus in his humility said, I'm getting out of here. I am a king, but I didn't come to be that kind of a king. That's, you think that's a high-level king. That's a low-level king when it comes to the universe and what's going on. He didn't come to earth to be an earthly king. The world was and is filled with all kinds of kings. And depending on who's writing the books, we rate our presidents, we rate our histories, we rate all of that, and we name them one through ten, top to bottom, and we talk. That's not Jesus. He's not a human king. Didn't come to set himself up and set up this little earthly kingdom. Matthew 20, 28, self-description. He didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. 1 Peter 5.5 5 references Jesus, talks about him, and it says uh, Jesus, the clothes he put on, he was clothed with humility. And I want us to remember, we're talking about Jesus 
Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, the one who says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Is it a stretch for me to say, our God, while he is an awesome God, as we sing sometimes, our God is a humble God. Can we sing that with a clear conscience and be telling the truth? Yes, we can. God is humble. Jesus was that. He served. Think of him on earth, born of a poor woman. Joseph and Mary presented him in the temple, and he had two options. Uh, you, you brought a when you had your your baptism, your your baptism equivalent, and you had your your uh, bringing your child to the temple. You can give a, a poor man's offering or a rich man's offering, depending on, of course, if you're poor or rich. Uh, they they went the poor route because they didn't have much. That's where Jesus was born. He had poor companions, working class guys. Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, being an exception, perhaps, from what we know of history. But he didn't hang out with the highfalutin. The accusation against him was that he gathered with the tax gatherers and and the sinners. And he was uh, poor. He was poor in his manner of living. People had said, I want to follow you. Uh, His words of, of Warning or caution to them uh, were like the ones in Matthew 8.30 where he said, Foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Had to borrow a ship to speak to the crowd so the acoustics would work, but it wasn't his ship. Had to borrow a, or had had to send Peter out to go fishing and and pull a gold piece from a fish to pay his taxes. He couldn't even pay his taxes. Had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem to be heralded by this fickle crowd as a king. The guy I read said he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Well, at the time it wasn't borrowed. He was buried in a tomb and it was going to be borrowed, but with the resurrection it was borrowed, wasn't it? He, he, he had to use that borrowed tomb for those three days till he rose from the grave. Um, he was clothed in humility and he lived a life of humility. We don't see him, uh, for instance, we talked about the woman at the well a couple weeks ago and he says, I'm hungry. And he sent them into town to get some food. And he's out there not creating, you know, ribeye steak and and all of that for himself, uh, he voluntarily took on humility. He could have done that, couldn't he? He could have. That would have been sin. Yeah, it would have been kind of a lie and deceptive, so he couldn't have. But think about that. Think about Jesus' poverty, voluntary poverty. Think of the Bible saying, though he was rich in heaven for your sakes, he became poor, that you... uh, might become rich in him. He was humble. This is the description of Almighty God. Humble. 
He says, I do what I see my father doing. He mimicked his father in heaven. And he was humble. And you have to say, does that mean that God the Father, God the Spirit are humble? Think, think a, a little deeper than that. You kind of go, well, Jesus, when he was on earth, kind of put this persona on. No. Humility was an identity, not a strategy for him. What do we think about our almighty God? Now, one of Winston Churchill's opponents that he was running against, it might have been Clement Attlee. If I don't know who it is, I always say Clement Attlee because that's the one I remember. But one of his opponents. And they said, oh, Winston, but at least your opponent is such a humble man. He said, yes, he is a humble man with very much to be humble about. Um, God is a humble God with nothing to be humble about. God is awesome. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is God and there's nothing else. Uh, Some theologians have talked about him as the holy other. And yet you see God in the flesh doing these things like washing his disciples' feet. For instance, a humble God. Our God, we know in his self-description from the Bible, no defects, no weaknesses, no mistakes, no skeletons in the closet, no regrets, without an Achilles heel, nothing to have to be humble about but humility. Humble all the same. Here's that verse I semi-quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It was through Jesus' voluntary poverty and the humility that he exercised on the cross. Naked, bruised, battered, the wrath of the Father being poured out on him as he paid for the sins of the people. The watchers not really even understanding all of that. They just saw what they saw, and that was horrifying. And that poverty and that humility... He became our substitute, allowing us then to live a life of God-honoring humility ourselves. Jeremiah 45, verse 5. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Think about Jesus in John chapter 13. We're going to get there, so I don't want to preach that sermon and then have you come back and, and hear it a second time. But you think about John 13 where Jesus baptized or washed the feet of his disciples. And then his concluding remarks to that incident was, here's your example, do this. Luke 18, 14, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Back in the Psalms, 
humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I was teaching those youth and had a young man who I love, uh, kind of on the, um, the autism spectrum, and he took things literally, but he also was a comedian. Um, and I said, humble yourselves, youth group, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I said, now what's the opposite of that? And the opposite of that, in my mind, was lift yourself up in the sight of the Lord, and he will humble you. But he said, make yourself proud in the eyes of the devil. <laughs> and I said, no, not quite that. But listen, the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Let him lift you up. And we have a God who's humble. And as we start to think about our own times of trouble, which the text leads right into, it's good to establish in our minds right away what kind of a God is our God if we are Christians. And so the text moves from Jesus saying, no, I know what they're going to do. They're going to try and draft me and make me the people's choice and try and get me to be their king. And I'm getting out of here because I don't want that. That's not why I came. And then we see in verses 16 through 19, evening came. His disciples went down into the sea and got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. Uh, Jesus wasn't there. It's dark. It's night. They've got to get going. They got these ships. Uh, Perhaps Jesus said, I'll join you later, or I'll get there when I get there, or whatever. Uh, But they, they felt okay leaving without Jesus until, verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. They rode about three or four miles, and they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Trials of Christians, trials of Christ's disciples. It is up and down uh, for everybody. Christian, non-Christian, human beings have this. But think about these disciples and think about where they had just come from. Think about that. Think about where they came from, the transition. They had just been the insiders. We all want to be insiders. C.S. Lewis talking about the inner ring that we all long to be part of. They were the inner ring. Boy, they got that food. They got to hand it out. They weren't Jesus, but boy, they were doing Jesus' work. Hey, mister, hey, uh, can you get me to Jesus? They'd been commoners. Now they were sort of celebrities. They were Leaders, they had the backstage pass. They had the little lanyard around their their, uh, thing. They could go back and talk to the star. Easier to get to Jesus if you're one of his disciples doing his work. One reason, and you think about about them uh, in their early stages, uh, what that might have done to some of us. Some of us, it wouldn't have affected our sins or different sins, but some of us, we would have felt pretty cool. You know, hey, I'm not Jesus. I can't make the loaves and fishes into feeding 5,000, but I can sure, I got, I got the inside track on, uh, on Jesus' attention. I got the connection. We used to say, I got his name in the Rolodex. Now we say, what's a Rolodex? But uh, I have his name. I have his stuff. 
What do you think they think now in heaven if they even are aware that some churches even say pray to these disciples to get to Jesus? It would make them sick, but they're so busy probably praising Jesus, they're, they're not, uh, but, but you, you don't have to pray to Jesus, and they would say that. Uh, but they, at the time, certainly some of them, because we see them even jockeying for position among each other with who's going to sit at your right hand and who's going to sit at your left. So we see there's some of that human pride that we all have. And they were big deals. And they weren't going to draft Jesus to be the king, but there might have been a little bit of a draft Jesus uh, thought in their mind. And when the people finally did, who did they get to be? Maybe they were the envy of some others who had to go back to their mundane jobs uh, with a belly full of fish and, and bread. But these guys got to be with Jesus all the time. They might have liked it a little bit. And all of a sudden it went from that to being on the boat. Some of them remember fishermen with experience being on a boat Uh, Something was going on on that water that terrified them. And they were sick on the boat. Sick with worry. Sick from the raging sea. And what we need to remember is that all of that, even their troubles, their high to the low, was also something that Christ knew and appointed He could have gotten into the boat with them. He could have kept the sea distance. Instead, walked to them in the midst of Mary and Martha. Martha saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We're going to get to that, so I don't want to give all too much of that away either in John, but stay tuned. Listen. Our trials that the Lord sends our way are gifts from God. Pain is your friend. J.C. Ryle, quote, Winter as well as summer, cold as well as heat, clouds as well as sunshine are all necessary to bring the fruit of the Spirit to ripeness and maturity. Put a plant in the ground. It's not going to rain for a couple days. You want the plant to grow, what do you do? You get your water bucket and you get out there and you make sure that thing's got the right amount of water and sunshine and shade and all of that stuff. Uh, The Lord does this. Probably should have sung, but I think we sang it a week or two ago. God moves in a mysterious way uh, behind the uh, frowning providence. He shows a smiling face, and God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain, those types of things. That's a loving God who nurtures us. And uh, I used to say this in the day when, when uh, there was such a thing as spanking, <laughs> God knows just how hard to spank. Or he knows when to cut you the break. He knows when to sit you in the corner in time out. He knows uh, perfect father, perfect parent, loving, 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 loving. And these things 
come and they just happen. We can't even explain why. Like you go with some of these people. Think of the people in the Bible who had trials. I just have a few that I wrote down. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Job, Paul, some self-inflicted, the results of of their sin. Some of them just, uh, Job, for instance, kind of caught off guard. It's just life. And there's something cosmic going on in God's loving, sovereign, great, wonderful mind that in the end all things do work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so we can expect it. If we're human, expect it. If you're a Christian who's a human, well, expect something else. Expect Jesus to come walking to you in the midst of your storm. Heard about a woman, probably a good old Iowa woman. Heard about it when I was a kid. Maybe it's just uh, something a pastor used as as a sermon illustration. But there was a one woman, and they were asking, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And she said, my favorite verse is the one that says, and it came to pass, because all the trials in my life come to pass. And so she liked, and it came to pass. And you think about that, and maybe that's not proper uh, Hebrew and Greek exegesis, digging into the text and hermeneutics and all that, but is it not true? The things that come into our lives on earth do come to pass. Again, Jesus saying, in this world you will have trouble. Fear not, I have overcome the world. And we see how Jesus overcame the world in this incident. And it would be helpful to understand this as a, I had written metaphor, but a template for how Jesus is with his people in all their trouble. Template's a better word. This is your template. This is what happens. You have trouble. Your God is humble, a servant powerful, and he comes walking there to you in your trouble. So our third point, our Lord Jesus Christ's power over the waves of the sea, verses 19 through 21. It says, they saw Jesus, last half of 19, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and coming near the boat, well, that scared them even more because it's not something you see every day when you're out in a storm. But they saw him and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And listen to this. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. There wasn't intervening time there. They pull him on the boat and all of a sudden they're on the other side. What just happened? Sometimes we miss that as we read the Bible, uh, uh, as, we, as we work through our Bible reading. Our Lord Jesus Christ's power over the waves of the sea. He walked on the water as easily as he walked on the pavement of the temple or on the shore of the Sea of Galilee or the hills around Nazareth. He's just walking like normal. 
And he didn't say, oh, man, I forgot my umbrella. Didn't say that. Oh, wait, I'm God, I can make one. No, uh, this nature didn't affect him. Could have turned somersaults or skipped or walked backward or done the moonwalk. Uh, he could have done whatever he wanted on that water. Uh, this is Jesus walking on the water. He walked, it says. He didn't do the moonwalk. That would have been kind of a sight to behold. Uh, but Jesus is walking on the water to them. And what was trouble to the disciples in their boat was no problem for Jesus. No problem at all. Just a walk in the woods, a stroll in the park. Jesus walking on the water that was so, so troublesome to them. Some of whom were seasoned fishermen and probably been in in bad storms before, you would think. And do you think Jesus was all hunched over thinking about the rain getting to him? Oh, I've never been so disappointed to be with a group of men one time at a a men's conference. And they walk out and it's raining and they all hunch over and they run and they dance around and go to their place. And I'm like, come on, men. Jesus wasn't affected by the elements. I just picture him head held high, not going like this or, you know, Think about Jesus walking on water. He made the water. He made the wind. He made the laws of gravity. And he controlled the science. The science didn't control him. It's not like that computer HAL in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where they created a computer then that could take over them. Or like uh, artificial intelligence, as they talk about now, What if it turns on us? Well, the laws of nature would not turn on Jesus. Jesus wants to swim in the water. He can swim in the water. Jesus wants to walk on the water. He can walk on the water. The water is his to do with as he wishes. The laws of nature are fixed as far as we humans are concerned. But they are not fixed as far as the God who established them is concerned. And that's why we believe the miracles recorded for us in the Bible. That's why we believe it, because the miracles are God's miracles. And God made the rules, and God can do what he wants in the world that he made. That's why we pray for miracles today. Didn't read the article, but I saw a headline this week on one of the sites Uh, It says, as far as my cancer is concerned, I am a non-cessationist. I am praying for God to supernaturally heal my cancer. Pray for miracles. Can God heal cancer? Dumb question. Of course he can. Can God send rain onto dry ground? Dumb question. Of course he can. Can God turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh? Another dumb question. Of course he can. Of course he can. That's that's God. And that's why we sing songs and have sung songs as Christian people through the centuries, such as God is still on the throne, or why worry when you can pray, things like that we sing about as Christians. It's part of our understanding of God and who he is because we read it in his word and we've seen it with our eyes. 
moral of the story, if Jesus is your friend, there is no need for despair. If Jesus is your friend, he can come to you in the hour of your distress. He can come surprisingly, like Jesus walking toward them, surprisingly. He can come efficiently, like there he was, there's the raging storm, here's Jesus, gets in the boat, boom, dry land, just like that. And of course, he can come lovingly to you in the midst of your trials and your problems and difficulties. Because Jesus humbled himself and gave himself over to cross, of course, he delivers us from the earthly troubles. And then we even look back and say they weren't so bad uh, as we look back because Jesus has come in and solved those things. They weren't the worst case scenario. What is the worst case scenario? What is the worst thing that can happen to you? And I'm going to tell you it's in light of God and God's love and God's eternal plan and God's providence and putting everything together. Um, there's only one real worst case scenario, and that is that you die without a relationship with God through Jesus. Otherwise, uh, these things are solvable by God in God's time as God wants. Paul said, I prayed. I had this thorn in the flesh. I prayed. I asked God three times, remove it. And he said, "Uh, I'm not going to because it's better for me not to. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, so, So we have... Times other, other, other times people had those types of things and they prayed and God said, okay, boom. God's God. God's loving. God's good. Someone said God is sovereign. You can trust him. Christian, I would say just be aware of that worst case scenario because when that happens, that's it. Jesus still meets people in their grief hopelessness, and despair. Now, you may have heard the story. If you have, good, you get to hear it again. Uh, If you haven't, good, you get to hear something from history that shows God's greatness. And this is the story of Horatio Spafford. He was a real estate tycoon in Chicago toward the end of the 19th century. He was a businessman who was very successful also a Christian. I'm going to read it word for word like I read it this week in a book so I don't miss anything. It says, In the devastating Great Chicago Fire of 1871, Spafford's real estate fortunes burned up, and as a result, he leaned ever more heavily on his Christian faith. Two years later, he planned to join evangelist D.L. Moody in his revival tour of the British Isles. But Spafford was too weighed down with work to travel with his wife Anna and four daughters who boarded the SS Villa du Havre. I know I pronounced that wrong, but sorry. In New York City to set sail to Wales. On the morning of November 22, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, 
the SS Villa du Havre collided with the Scottish Iron Clipper, sinking in 12 minutes and leaving more than 200 people drowned. When Anna arrived in Cardiff, Wales, she telegrammed Horatio, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio quickly left to reunite with his wife, sailing by the area where his children died, and as legend has it, pinning the lines to his famous hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Hey, we're going to sing that one to close our service. I wonder how that got there, but there it is. Um, Put to music by friend and hymnist Philip P. Bliss, the poem became It Is Well With My Soul, a staple song of Moody's revivals, an anthem of higher life faithfulness, and one of the most popular hymns in the world. He lost another child to scarlet fever in 1881, but history shows how God came to them in their trials and comforted them and gave them peace that would pass all understanding. And they lived for God. And even now in heaven are living eternally for God. Your trials may or may not be on the scale of those of the disciples in our story or of Horatio and Anna Spafford. They may be more difficult or less difficult. But the one who's the same, the constant throughout the scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ, your humble God who comes to you, his people, in your time of trial and need. And, and we say, Jesus, good to see you. Get in this boat. Good to see you. Glad you're here, my Savior and my God. Thanks to our humble Savior, Jesus, who visited us and saved us in our utter hopelessness when we were lost in our sins and paid the price uh, uh, for us taking the wrath of God deserved for us and, and taking it on himself and giving us those gifts of repentance and faith, uh, delivering us from the true worst-case scenario, we get to go forward and live lives that matter, lives that are filled with hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this incident. Thank you for what we heard last week about the the loaves of bread and the fishes, and we thank you for what's coming in the next couple of weeks as we look at now Jesus' teaching about being the bread of life. We pray that you'll give us encouragement in our trials when we need to be reminded of this because we are so weighed down, Lord. Please send people along who who know you and love you and remind us. And when we're doing fine but our sisters and brothers are hurting, Lord, Send us to to provide help, yes, but to provide comfort and, and perspective on your great love for us. We thank you for that verse. Oh, we thank you that says, with his own son Jesus, will not God freely give us all things? We thank you that we get to be Christians. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.